Please do, if you've got a Bible open in front of you, keep it open. Uh, we're going to be working our way through Romans 10 together tonight. Uh, my number will be up on the screen, so feel free to text through. i put my phone on silent. Feel free to text through any questions you might have. Uh, we have a chance to look at them at the end, if any come through. Uh, otherwise, why don't we come before our Lord in prayer, uh, ask for his help in hearing him speak to us tonight. Well, Lord, help us to hear more clearly the message of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, and by hearing, draw our hearts closer to you by faith, through the power of your spirit at work in us. Amen. Words can sometimes be clarifying things or confusing things. So I meet up with a friend most weeks. He's from overseas. We read the Bible together and pray. And one reason why we read the Bible together is so my friend can practice his English. So what we'll do is I will read through a few verses, then we'll stop, we'll go back, and we'll work out any words he may not understand, and we'll talk about them, and then we'll talk about the meaning of the verses we just read. And almost every week, what will happen is we'll get to a particularly tricky word, and my friend will ask, is this a church word or an everyday word? <laughs> Meaning, how hard do I have to work at actually understanding this word? Let's see. Um, propitiation? Yeah, fair enough. You're probably not going to use that word at work. But one way we can get confused about language is when we come across words that are both church words and everyday words, but we use them in very different ways. And one of those words is today's topic, faith. When the New Testament uses this word, it's used in two ways, all right? So either faith is an outline of what it was that the early church believed, or faith as Christians receiving that belief. When we use it in the world, though, that word faith, well, faith is what you have not when you're sure about something or have a basis for belief, but when you're unsure about something or have no basis for it. For example, I'm, oh, I, I believe, I believe that guy's name is Miles. I'm not quite sure. I'm sorry, I've met you a hundred times. I think it's Miles. Or you might hear someone say, I can't prove this to you. You just got to have faith. Or as some might say, I believe in reason. You Christians over there just believe in faith. Now, no matter how hard we try, you know, as Christians, we're going through everyday life. We're hearing the way this word gets used. We're getting used to it. It's very easy to get sucked into thinking that's what the Bible means when it talks about faith. So faith equals uncertainty, lack of knowledge, lack of reason, just mere opinion, wishful thinking. So when it comes to the Bible's big idea of salvation, for you're saved by grace through faith, you can see why we often struggle to have the level of assurance that God wants us to have, okay? So that's what I want to explore today. What it looks like to have saving faith. What is faith. What do we mean when, we're, when we say we're saved by grace through faith? We're going to do it by unpacking Paul's famous words in Romans 10 that Josh just read out. We're going to look at three things. 
Uh, first, the problem of salvation. Secondly, the path of salvation. And then third, the promise of salvation. So the problem, the path, the promise of salvation, hopefully by the end, we'll have some f- fairly good reasons to put our faith in Christ alone. Okay, so here's where Paul begins. Number one, the problem of salvation. The problem of salvation is that no matter how much passion or zeal we may have, we cannot save ourselves through our own efforts. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because that's what we spent all week looking at last week, last Sunday. Spent all Sunday looking at that from Ephesians 2. How we're saved by grace alone, not by works. Now, if you remember back to last week, in Ephesians, Paul, he's speaking to a diverse community, not unlike ours. And in particular, in Ephesians 2, he's needing to unpack the gospel for Gentile believers who did not grow up with an understanding of of God, who God is. Which is why, in Ephesians 2, Paul starts all the way back in the beginning uh, to tell them, no, you were born dead in your sins. In Romans, the focus is a bit different here. Paul writes to the church in Rome to help them better understand the gospel in the face of some fairly hefty challenges. And one of the key challenges was from Paul's fellow Jewish people. So those who identified as Christian, but still approached God through their Jewish heritage. For example, they insisted that whatever role Jesus may have in salvation, doing good works, that is, works of the law, was still absolutely necessary to be saved. And yet they believed this to their detriment. You can see that in the passage, in the verses just before our passage, 9 verse 31, verses just before what Josh read out in Romans 10. So 9 verse 31, uh, Paul says that by following the law, Israel failed to achieve righteousness, that is right standing with God. Why is that? He asks in verse 32. Well, because they did not pursue righteousness by faith, but as it were, by works. Right? Not by faith, but by works. So Paul wants to correct this. Not because, listen, not because he's the kind of guy you meet at your staff Christmas party who just loves to win an argument, but rather because Paul really does love his fellow Jewish neighbors, and he really does want them to have the same level of assurance that he came to find in the gospel. So see that there in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, what Paul longs for, and his prayer to God concerning them, What's for their salvation? You know, I can testify about them, says Paul, that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, that's how Paul was before he met Jesus. Zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Since they're ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. They failed to submit to God's righteousness, to be in right standing with God. Now, you might be sitting there wondering, and maybe you thought it last week as well, Mitchell, what does it, like, what does it really matter? Whether Jewish or Christian, uh, Protestant or Catholic, both, you know, both see God at work in there somewhere. Both have a place for doing good works in their faith. Both have a zeal and a passion for God. Isn't that good enough? Well, true, there is a lot of crossover. But how you understand this 
will result in two very different kinds of Christian life. And one of the big implications for this is around this idea of assurance. Assurance, that is the deep-seated belief that you really are truly saved. Okay? Well, think of it this way. Let's think of it this way. Um, it's Christmas time, and our good friends, Kelvin and Hobbes, talking about Santa, and they have this conversation. Kelvin, he says, I'm getting nervous about Christmas. Hobbes, you're worried you haven't been good? Kelvin, well, that's just the question. It's all relative. I mean, what's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I haven't killed anybody. See, that's good, right? <laughs> I haven't committed any felonies. I, I, I didn't start any wars. I, I, I don't practice cannibalism. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say I should get lots of presents? Hobbes. But maybe good is more than the absence of bad. Kelvin. See, that's what worries me. And that's the problem with any approach to God that requires our own efforts to be saved. You will never know if it's enough. You'll never know if you are good enough. And that's why Paul offers a solution. Very next verse, verse 4, for Christ is the end or the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, if you believe in him. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that's from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. Now, what Paul's saying here, friends, is that Jesus was always the intended goal of the law. In fact, the whole point of God giving Israel works of the law was to show them proof that nobody could keep it. The law was always meant to point people away from themselves and toward their need for a Savior, toward Jesus, and by receiving Jesus, the Messiah, by faith, they'd find life. Okay, that's Israel's problem, right? But it's worth pausing here because I think it's so easy for us to think, hoi doi, you Israelites, you're such dum-dums. But aren't us so-called Bible-believing Christians just as susceptible to this? I mean, can you really say that you have not in some small way tried to pay for your own sins, tried to establish your own righteousness? I haven't convinced you yet? Okay, here are a few examples. Let me, know, let me know if you can relate to any of these in any way. For example, number one, are you the stressed out people pleaser? Signing up to every church roster, every volunteer opportunity, filling up your schedule with every nice ministry thing. Now don't get me wrong, serving in church is a vital part of following Jesus, but I reckon it is possible to become really, really busy at church as a way to try and make up for some past mistakes, or even because it's easier to be busy at church than to confront our own heart. Yeah, and so you throw yourself into ministry, hoping all your good volunteering will make God happier with you. What are you doing? You're trying to earn what you can only receive. Or another example, are you the person who can't stop beating yourself up over your past sin? You keep revisiting your mistakes in your mind, playing them on repeat, making yourself feel bad over and over and over and over again to prove to God how contrite your heart is. 
again. Grief over sin is really good when it leads to repentance, but God doesn't hold your sin over your head. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west, so are you actually trying to achieve something for yourself that God's already promised to give you in Christ? Are you not trying to earn what can only be received? I do think it's, it's, it's fairly safe to say that this problem of salvation is our problem too. Thankfully, though, God, he doesn't leave us to our own devices. He knows our debt of sin was too big for us to ever pay down ourselves, which is why he gave us his son Jesus to open the way back to him, to solve the problem at great cost to himself. All right? That's the first point, the problem of salvation. Well, here's the second point, the path of salvation, the path. Okay, so if faith is the path of salvation, then what is it and how does it work? How does faith work? Well, simply put, faith is a personal attitude of trust and dependency. I'll say that again. Faith is a personal attitude of trust and dependency. In fact, that word trust, it's a great replacement word in most places where you find the word faith in the Bible. But the good news is we, 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 also, have, we also use uh, this meaning of, of the word faith as well in, in everyday uh, use. It's not just a church word, okay? Um, here, here, here's what I mean. Let me give you an example of this. When you came in tonight, when you came in, every last one of you, and you sat down in those pews, you were exercising a certain amount of faith that the pew you sat in wouldn't collapse under your weight. Now, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not making any comment about your bodies, okay? You're all very, very beautiful, by the way. The point is, you are trusting, all right? The point is, you are trusting that that pew will do for you what you know it's meant to do, <laughs> to hold you up. You, you're depending on it to keep you up. It's what it was designed to do. You're depending on it to keep you up lest you fall flat on your bottom. In the same way, when the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about a personal attitude of trust and dependency in God, specifically his promises to us in the gospel okay? It's this belief that says, I trust God is who he says he is, and I know I can depend on him to save me from my sin, not because of anything I've done, but only because Jesus did everything he was meant to do for me in his life, death, and resurrection. It's what Paul's getting at, the next bit of passage. There's, there's a lot of movement here, but Let's read it out and, and we'll have a quick summary. Verse 6, but the righteousness that comes from faith, there's our key word, right? So we want to listen up. The righteousness that comes from faith, it speaks like this. Don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you. It's close. It's in your mouth. It's in your very heart. See, Paul, he pictures here somebody searching far and wide for salvation. They've got their head in the clouds looking for God there. They're, they're, they're going down to the place of the dead to find him there. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Faith understands 
that you don't have to go searching for salvation. In Christ, God has brought salvation to you. He sent his son from heaven to earth to die the death that we deserved, and then he raised him up out of the abyss for our salvation. Okay, so if the question is, how can I become a Christian? How? The answer is as simple as this. Put your trust in what Jesus has done on the cross to wipe out your sins. That's it. Put your trust in what Jesus has done for you in his death and resurrection. That's the path of salvation. That's the path. Okay, well, what does that look like practically? What does it look like to do that? Well, Paul gives us some instructions next. Second half of verse 8. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. Here it is. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, right standing with God, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. So friends, can I say, look, if you're someone here tonight, and you've sort of been hanging around Village Church for a little while now, uh, investigating Christianity for yourself. You know, maybe you've been exploring Jesus for yourself. And you wouldn't say you've quite yet made the decision to follow him, but you want to. You want to know how. This is where it all begins. If you want to become a Christian, all you have to do is make the conscious decision to say, Yes, I trust you, Jesus. I believe you love me and forgive my sins. And then just enjoy your first shaky step toward following Jesus. As all of heaven cheers you on. Listen, even if you don't have all the answers yet, that's actually okay. Because you have enough to say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you. That's it. It's nothing more, it's nothing less. Faith, faith is but an open hand, ready to receive what God promises to give us through Christ alone. Also, if you're here today and you are a Christian, you have already taken that step. But maybe you're here tonight and you have been just floundering a little bit in your faith. Maybe you're struggling under the weight of your sin, or even recognize some of yourself in those stories that I shared a, a little bit before. You've been trying to earn what, can, you, what you can only receive. If that's you, well, what are some ways that we can boost our faith? How, can we, how, how is it that we can sort of um, uh, keep growing or, 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 or build up our trust in Jesus? Okay, well, three quick suggestions for how we can boost our faith. Uh, first, number one, read your Bible. Oh, come on, you knew I was going to say that. You knew I was going to say that. But honestly, find a few minutes every day to open up your Bible, you know, pick, a, pick a gospel, maybe one of Paul's letters, just work through it. Here's the thing. The more time we spend reading the Bible, God's word to us, the more our hearts and our minds begin to trust who Jesus is <laughs> and what his death and resurrection means to us. 
right? So what happens when we read God's word, we actually reshape our hearts around the gospel. And we learn to see ourselves as Jesus sees us, loved and forgiven, right? That's the first thing, read your Bible. Secondly, number two, uh, do some spiritual heart surgery on yourself. And, and all I mean by that is, is, is exercise a little bit of healthy self-reflection. Here, here's what I mean. Ask yourself what your motivation is when it comes to, you know, your involvement, say, in ministry or in serving or in volunteering. You know, what, what your motivation is behind any of the things that you do as a Christian. Now, absolutely, we're always going to have mixed motivations. 100%. We're, we're human. That's, that's going to happen. That's okay. But as followers of Jesus, everything we do in life is a response to God's grace. Okay? So anytime you set out to serve or do anything good, just ask yourself. Take a moment and thank God for giving you everything you need in Jesus. The fact that he already has given you that. And then ask yourself, if you're using this particular area of, of, of ministry or serving to puff yourself up, and if you are, if you are, ask God to display his glory through you instead. Okay? So what, what, what are we doing here? We're, we're, we're trying to make, we're trying to lower ourselves and, and elevate Christ in us. Okay, finally, number three, share your story. There is no better way to fire our faith than when we gather with God's people and tell them what God's been doing in our life. It, it, it is so easy to get bogged down by our sin, but our hearts come alive and are filled with gratitude instead of guilt when we take our gaze off ourselves and we focus on Jesus and how much better when we get to see how it is God's working in the lives of our brothers and sisters here at Village Church as well. Okay? So, read your Bible, a bit of self-reflection, heart, spiritual heart surgery, um, and share your story. A few different ways that we can boost our faith on, uh, on, on the way uh, to heaven. Okay, so we've, we've talked about the problem of salvation. We cannot save ourselves. We just discovered the path of salvation. Put your trust in Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, if you do that, then number three, here is the promise of salvation. The promise of salvation. Uh, last point for tonight. Here it is, the promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. promise of salvation it's total assurance it's total assurance that you belong to god forever okay verse 11 for the scripture says god's word says everyone who believes on jesus will not be put to shame since there's no distinction between jew and greek meaning insider or outsider because the same lord of all catch this richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh man, there's this, there was this great story in the news a few days ago. Uh, Stephen, 61-year-old man on the Gold Coast, uh, he is selling his entire life on Marketplace. I'm a bit of a fan of Marketplace. I don't mind cruising it from time to time. I have never seen anything like this. He's literally, so the backstory is Stephen, he wants to uh, fulfill his dream of traveling the world and he's hoping he can step out of his life with just a backpack and a suitcase and so he's offering up his entire life as a complete package like literally everything so he's selling his home business um, his four-bedroom house his cars furniture gym equipment 
uh, music gear, like literally everything as a package deal. I even have friends, he says. <laughs> if they want friends, they're just around the corner. Okay, the asking price, $2.2 million. That seems pretty fair to me, actually, if you think about it. But, says Steve, they literally just step into my shoes and the name changes. <laughs> when Paul says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he's not just saying that we'll get to be in heaven with God one day. We will. We will. But it is so much more than that. When you put your trust in Jesus, you immediately receive all of God's blessings as one complete package, uh, free of charge, no price tag. Complete forgiveness of all of our sins, the gift and seal of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live like Jesus, adoption as God's children into his family, citizenship in heaven, the sure hope of eternal life, and on and on and on we could go. Through faith, we step into Jesus' shoes, as it were, and everything that's true of him instantly becomes true of us. We're given a new name, we take on the identity of God's Son. Here's why this matters. And then with this, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up. Here's why this matters. As I mentioned last week, I grew up as a Christian in the 90s, on the prairies of Canada. And I'm very grateful for my upbringing. But one thing that was unhelpful about the church tradition that I grew up in is that it was very feelings-based. All right, so our relationship with God was often based on the strength or the quality or the passion of your faith. <laughs> so if you're having a bad day, or maybe even a bad year, you were often made to feel somehow just a little bit less Christian, a little, just a little bit less saved maybe. Now, I'm willing to concede there may have been some teenage angst in the mix there, okay? So, I want to I be fair to my church. I'm not blaming my church leaders or anything like that. But, I do know that at least in my own social circles, you know, like, like, like in youth group and stuff like that, uh, we found it really easy to doubt our salvation, especially when wrestling with sin, okay? So, you, I mean, you know the drill. If you've been a Christian more than 24 hours, uh, you would stuff up right? You would plead with God to forgive you. You'd promise it. You said, God, I, pr I, will never, I will never do this again. God, I promise you, this is the last time I'm walking around. I'm never going to do that. And you pray, please, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And you go to bed, and you wake up the next day, and you fall back into the exact same sin as, as the night before, yeah? Making you question whether or not you truly are on the straight and narrow. And then you'd hear things like, Jesus is up in heaven. He's interceding with the Father on our behalf. And it wasn't hard to imagine how those conversations must go up in heaven. Right? So you got, you got God there uh, seated on the throne. Right? You got Jesus there uh, seated on his right side on, well, like a little lesser throne. I don't know, bigger throne maybe. Anyway, so you got God on one side. You got Jesus on the other. You reckon the conversation goes something like, you know, God, um, hey, you, do, you, you see him down there? And Jesus said, Mitchell? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's, he's sinned again. Yeah, I'm aware. He's asking for forgiveness. What should I do? Ah, oh, look, God, he's, he's a good kid. 
sure, but this is like his 10th time this week. No, 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 I, I, I get it, but he's going through so much right now. My son, you of all people should know, suffering's no excuse for sin. No, no, I'm not, I know it's no excuse for sin. Trust me, I've, I've been there. I've, I've suffered myself. But, oh, look, he says he'll never do it again. And I really believe him this time. Can't you just forgive him, please, just this one last time? Please, just, just please, pretty please, just forgive him this one last time. Uh, just do it for me. Just do it for me. Ah, fine, okay. Go forgive him. I wish someone could have said to Kid Mitchell, <laughs> Mitch, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you're feeling right now. It actually doesn't matter that you've stuffed up the millionth trillionth time today. <laughs> God does not promise to forgive you based on your own efforts. He forgives you solely on the finished work of Christ alone. Listen, friends, when news of your sin hits the throne room of heaven, Jesus stands to attention and he says, I died for that sin. Okay? When he intercedes on our behalf, he's not pleading with the Father for mercy, he's demanding justice. Jesus is up there saying, I see Mitchell, you cannot punish him for that sin because I already took that punishment on the cross. I died for that sin in his place. Condemned I stood, Mitchell is forgiven. Friends, don't let anybody, yourself included, ever rob you of the joy of your Christian assurance. This is your promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we have all had dark nights of the soul where our own hearts have condemned us because of our own sin. Rescue us, Father. Enable us by your Spirit to turn our hearts to you in faith. May we become so deeply aware of all the riches you pour out on us in Christ alone. And by trusting in Christ alone, give to us, Lord, the assurance that comes from being sealed by your Holy Spirit until we have the great pleasure of seeing you face to face. Amen.